Back in 1982, which will either be just a short time ago or way back in the past, depending on how old you are and perspective on age there far. Back in 1982, the band The Clash sang, Should I Go, Should I Stay or Should I Go Now? The song, directed toward a girl who the singer takes to be a bit of a tease, never letting him know her real feelings toward him, has a few lyrics that actually apply to our gospel passage from John chapter 6 this morning. Should I stay or should I go? If you say that you are mine, so that's that girl saying you are mine to the singer, I'll be here until the end of time. So you got to let me know, should I stay or should I go? We hear him profess that it is a choice of eternal consequence. I'll be here until the end of time. But there is a condition. He has to know that she sees him. You are mine. And he admits later in the song that the indecision is bugging him. Prompting him to ask, should I stay or should I go now? as the repeating lyric throughout the song. This song came to mind when earlier in the week I was reading the Gospel passage for today. Jesus has just told the people something that quite simply they cannot accept. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live Because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? This is a hard saying in English. The English translations believe that you need to eat my flesh. That by itself is difficult, but it's even harder in the original text where Jesus uses the word that means to gnaw on. He uses a term that is usually reserved for animals when they eat. And gnaw on bones to give every little bit of what they are eating. And while they may find the idea of drinking blood, or while we may find the idea of drinking blood distasteful and grotesque, that misses the point that Jews are forbidden in the Torah law from drinking blood. It is, or for consuming it at all, in matter of fact. That kosher butchering practices require that an animal be completely drained of blood prior to being butchered into the various cuts of meat that will later be cooked and served. With this in mind, listen to what's being said. Gnaw on my flesh to the very bones and violate the law which joins you to God the Father by drinking my blood.
Jesus tells them to do this, which everything within their training, their understanding, their education says this will permanently separate us from God. But Jesus says, in order to be united with me, and thereby united with God the Father, you need to gnaw on my flesh and to drink my blood. Not only is this idea physically repulsive, not only is it a matter of violating the law, it just doesn't seem to make any sense. It goes against, as I said, everything they have been taught. And in reply, they say, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? How can we believe this? How can we accept this? How can we possibly follow somebody who says something like this? And as a result, they ask themselves, should we stay or should we go? And their answer, which we find in chapter 6, verse 66, is that many of Jesus' disciples turned back and no longer followed Him. I find it curious that when the editors of the Bible went in and broke the various books of the Bible into chapters and verse numbers, that this one sentence, after this, many of His disciples turned back and no longer walked with Him, has been numbered 666. Now, I'll be clear that the chapter and the verse numbers, they are not inspired. They are not like the rest of the actual text. All of those little headings, the chapter and the verses, all those notes and and things that make it easier to read in, in segmented units, all of that was added by editors Lately, That's not divinely inspired part of the text. But I think someone was having a bit of fun and telling a subtle truth when they went in and numbered and singled out that one sentence for that particular numbering. Because those who refuse to accept Jesus, those who walk away from Jesus, those who will not offer His or will not accept His offer of His precious body and blood for their salvation, are in fact being deceived, and as a result, following the spirit of Antichrist. Now these words that bothered those early disciples have bothered Christians for years and years. Just what did Jesus mean when He said, eat His flesh and drink His blood? When I say that it's bothered Christians for years and years, it's really only the last few hundred years. For centuries, the first part of the, the, the church's history, the church, because it was undivided, all Christians believed that Jesus meant what He said, eat His flesh and drink His blood. St. John Christensen lived in the late 300s, stated plainly, this, has, this is no enigma or parable You must really eat the body of Christ. And he means to say that the true meat was he who saves the soul. St. Augustine, who lived right about the same time, said something similar. That is to say, such a one eats the body and drinks the blood of Christ, not in the sacramental sense, but in reality. 
St. Cyril of Alexandria, who lived in the early 400s, explained it like this. If one joins two pieces of wax, one will see that one has become part of the other. In a similar manner, I suppose, the person who receives the flesh of our Savior Christ and drinks his precious blood shall be one with him. If St. Cyril was speaking in the idiom of today, he would have said, Jesus gives us his body to eat and his blood to drink because you are what you eat. We, of course, regarding this with the benefit of the entire gospel text from John and the other gospel writers, as well as the writings of St. Paul to the Corinthians, understand that what Jesus is speaking of here is the Eucharist. The holy meal that through the mystery of the power of God is made to be Jesus' body and blood. But back then, right there in that moment, the gospel has not been written. None of the letters have been written. The establishment of the Eucharist on that final night of the Last Supper has not occurred yet. So even those disciples that were the closest to him don't have that benefit of insight that we have. When Jesus is speaking and seeming to make no sense at all, and at best it's offensive and maybe grotesque, but it's violating or advocating the violation of the law at worst, the disciples were all asking themselves, should we stay or should we go? And that's the question I would put to you this morning. We personally shall not hear Jesus tell us to eat his flesh and drink his blood in the same way the disciples heard it. We cannot because we know the rest of the story. But Jesus does indeed call us to his table. Jesus does indeed call us to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And always, though, we know that in the context of the Eucharist. We are not confused. We are not bewildered. We know his intent. Now, sadly, many still walk away from this. Many still walk away from God's perfect sacrifice and thanksgiving and refusing Jesus. The thing is, I want to shift our focus a little to the idea of walking away when it seems confusing or hard or doesn't make sense or goes against what everything in the world is telling you. Because we can't hear Jesus talk about his flesh and his blood that way, but we can face many circumstances in the world today that the world is telling us one thing and the Bible is telling us another thing. And then we end up asking, should we stay or should we go? We have so many things that can be difficult to understand or even if we understand them perfectly, difficult to accept. Sometimes we find it in Scripture. Sometimes it is a sense that we get while in prayer. And regardless of where one hears God's voice, the question is, do we listen? Do we follow Jesus? Even when it does not seem to make sense, even when it is hard, even when it goes against what we've been taught, even when it seems repugnant or grotesque, even when it may even seem unlawful. Now we can come up with examples of this all day long. I'm only going to give a few. There are the big ones, and these are the ones that preachers particularly like to use. Do I go out on a mission field? Do I enter 
vocational ministry? Do I take up a responsibility in the church such as leading Sunday school or some other task that is needed? And preachers like to use examples like those for a couple reasons. Either he's trying to get people into those roles and then preaching a hard sermon about are you being faithful and using those as the opportunities, <clears throat> trying to use a bit of guilt to get people to respond. Now the other is a preacher who wants to make sure that his congregation is comfortable. That person allows for an escape valve. Are you called to vocational ministry? Are you called to the mission field? Are you called to a role in the church? No, 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 no. Oh, but not everyone is called to those. Prayerfully discern what is right for you. I had you a bit tense, but now I've let you relax. You can probably go back to sitting in your pew and feeling fine about yourself. But seeing that Jesus tells us that it is one who is responsible in little things to whom great things will be given, I think we need to get more basic than those top-of-the-chart type callings of faithfulness. When you hear the words of Jesus, do you follow them or the world's teaching on the same issue? And these are things that we will find more frequently in daily life. Do we believe excuse me, do we believe what God says about treating the foreigner with kindness, or are those deemed to be illegal regarded with contempt? Do we believe what God says about providing relief to the hungry and thirsty, or do we sneer at welfare recipients? Do we believe what God says about how to conduct business dealings with fairness and equity? Or do we seek to get everything you can at the expense of the other? Do we believe, as is said in Scripture, that God created male and female? Or do we believe that gender is simply a fluid construct that is made up in the mind of the individual? Do we believe that God made human beings unique from all the rest of creation and are called to live celibate lives until marriage and then chaste lives within marriage? Or would you follow the world and feel free to engage in whatever you feel is right? Are you committed to marital fidelity and lifelong commitment? Or does the world's message of an easy, no-fault divorce sound fine to you? We can go on and on and on. Every single social issue has a biblical component in what the world is saying. These are simply some of the hot-button issues of today. And every day there are people in the church, those who will profess themselves to be Christians, those who will profess to be disciples of and followers of Jesus, those who will hear these same questions and others like them and say, these are hard. Who can listen to them? As a result, many turn away and do not seek and no longer walk with Jesus. Our opening hymn, Christian, Dost Thou See Them, was written somewhere around the year 700 by St. Andrew of Crete. The hymn has lasted for over a thousand years because Satan has not changed. He is still tempting us with the same temptations, trying to get us to walk away from Jesus 
So he wrote these words. Christian, do you feel them? How they work within, striving, tempting, luring, goading into sin. Christian, do you hear them? How they speak thee fair, always fast and vigil, always watch in prayer. You know, it's interesting how they speak so fair. An observation about sin is that Satan will continue to tempt you saying it's not that big a deal. It's okay. You can do this little thing until the moment it's committed. And then he changes his story and says it cannot be forgiven. Trying to get the person trapped and staying in his or her sin. Christian, do you hear them? How they speak the fair. When the many disciples walked away from Jesus... There were the few that remained. And Jesus turned to them and asked, Will you leave also? Simon Peter replied for them all, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. For Simon Peter and the others, there was no indecision bugging them. When nothing made sense, when following Jesus was hard, when it seemed like the world's answer was better, when it came down to that same question, should I stay or should I go? If you say that you're mine, I'll be here until the end of time. The disciples knew that Jesus does indeed say that we are his until the end of time. I urge you, when the world tells you to go, When you are asking yourself, should I stay or should I go? Should I be faithful to God or follow the world? When you experience in your own life what St. Andrew of Crete wrote about back in 700, when he said, Christian, do you feel them? How they work within, striving, tempting, luring, goading into sin. How when they speak to you so fair, always fast and vigil, always watching prayer with that question mark, making you think that maybe it's not that great an idea anyway. Instead, take strength in the rest of the Spirit, the rest of the hymn. Christian, up and smite them, counting gain but loss, in the strength that cometh from the Holy Cross. Christian, never tremble, never be downcast. Gird thee for the battle. Watch and pray and fast. Christian, answer boldly, while I breathe, I pray, peace shall follow battle, night shall end in day. Hear the words of Jesus, O my servant true, thou art very weary, I was weary too, but that toil shall make thee someday all my own, and the end of sorrow shall be near my throne. Amen.